Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, July 11th, 2018. Light episode today. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, those are the only types of apostles that there are today, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Or and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put out for consumption by evangelicals is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. There's a whole lot of ear-scratching, ear-tickling going on, and uh, people not being brought to repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Instead, they're signing up to uh, have Jesus reveal to them their dream destiny and nonsense like that. Now, part of the way in which you learn how to do proper discernment is through sound biblical teaching. So, we do feature good teaching here at Fighting for the Faith and do so regularly so that you have a comparative point, if you would. Now, today we'll be doing a light episode. We're heading to Kongsvinger Lutheran Church. This is where I'm the pastor. And uh, we're listening to my Sunday school lesson. Now, this one's interesting. We'll start in the biblical text and we'll end up kind of talking about uh, the main philosophical uh, worldview that is kind of hijacked uh, America, uh, you know, America and, uh, and much of Western society. But the name of the episode is titled The Failing of the West. I think you'll find this ho- helpful. Let's get to it. Here we go. All right, let's pray. We'll get started. Lord Jesus, again, as we open up your word, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds, send your spirit so that we might properly understand what you have revealed so that we may know what your standard is, trust in your mercy because of how far we've fallen short, but also through faith, bearing fruit, and keeping with repentance, strive to do the good works that you've called us to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, and we are almost done with Exodus chapter 22. And again, a big reminder, this whole section is super heavy law. We're looking at the civil law portion of the Mosaic Covenant. A lot of these commandments are specifically dealing with uh, civil law issues. And you can see then how the Ten Commandments hook into how the civil government worked in Israel. So Exodus chapter 22, verse 28. Hope you're sitting down. If you're not, brace yourself. Here's the command. You shall not revile God or curse a ruler of your people. (laughs) Like America's favorite pastime after baseball, you know, is tearing down. 
politicians. I have a Facebook I kind of a friend and you would not believe the stuff that goes on the Facebook post. If I post this Bible verse, would that be a little in your face? <laughs> Just a little Marilyn, you go right ahead. <laughs> I, I get I I the known to post a Bible verse or two, and if you follow me on social media, then you will know that the pirate really is in control of my social media, not the pastor. So I do have a tendency to um, send out messages specifically designed to say the opposite of what popular culture is saying. But one of the things I have noticed, going back to the election cycle. <sighs> Twenty, you know, that, that that whole last presidential election, it was awful. And because I have like fifteen thousand followers on Facebook, I get to see people's Facebook posts from like both sides of the spectrum. And was it was it the uh, was it Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet? A pox on both of your houses. Because <laughs> yeah. it's really fascinating. You read right-wing social media, and wow, it's vitriolic. You read left-wing social media, and wow, it's vitriolic. And the funny thing is, is that as a pastor, I have to pastor anybody, regardless of what their voter registration says. So it's like I find myself in some of the most awkward situations. And so, you know, I'll give you an example that, uh, you know, so with our Aletheia outreach, you know, we have people that we're serving in different parts of the world. Uh, Some of our Aussies are socialists. And they they, they make no apologies for it. They think that that's just the moral thing to do. That's what they are. And when they talked to me when I was in Australia last year, they just assumed I'm right on board with them. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, don't say anything. <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> you know, thinking, I need to learn a lesson from my Norwegians. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I ended up asking a lot of questions, a lot of questions, you know. And, and, and so what's very fascinating is so when, when we travel and we meet with Aletheans that are outside of the country, I mean, over and again, they sit there and go, why do all of you Americans have guns? It just seems so ridiculous, you know. And, and you know, why do you not pay for everyone's health care? We do that. And, and, you know, it's like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it's very fascinating. So, you know, so the idea then is, is as a pastor, I have to... I, it, it's almost like being a referee in football. You know, I, my job is to, like, blow the whistle when people aren't playing nice. So, you know, and it's not that I don't vote. It's just that I, I rarely will you see me express my political views. But the thing that cured me of politics was being the uh, treasurer for the Republican Central Committee and. Uh, California for the uh, 44th and 45th uh, congressional districts in Southern California. I was the treasurer for the Republican Central Committee. Did that for you know almost four years, and uh, seeing where all the money was going and what they were doing, that just cured me right up because I, I got to the point where I couldn't maintain a conscience as a Christian and participate in that in any sense. So, and I'll just say that. Politics is, uh, there's a lot of temptations to corruption. So it just scared me right up. That's all I got to say. So it used to be a time I was very politically active, and now I'm religiously active. I, I'm doing kingdom work. Technically, that, I guess that counts as politics on some level. But yeah. That's why you live in North Dakota, where you don't have to register as either Republican or Democrat. I didn't realize I didn't have to do that. Okay. Just show up and vote. You will not get to vote in the primary. Okay. All right. So you can vote without registering for a... Got it. Okay. All right. So, you know, one of these days, I think I'm just going to claim some really weird, exotic, fringe political group as my home, you know, and see what it does. But anyway. Uh, Yeah. 
if the maybe it's not a question, it's just a comment. Uh, I'll put it in. Aren't are we supposed to, as a as a church body, refrain from endorsements and or you know because uh, we could probably lose our uh, nonprofit. Yes. And isn't there something with the government there that uh, holds ties our hands as far as your hands as far as as doing that? We. Here's the thing. A church can do whatever it wants. It can, it can engage in political speech. It can endorse candidates. But it may not be able to do all of that without losing tax-exempt status. For the privilege of not having to pay taxes on the donations, the paltry donations that we get in our congregation, we've traded that for, let's just say, a lessened political speech when it comes to things like that. I don't. I personally do not think that churches should be endorsing candidates. Church, my job as a pastor is to preach the word and to pray for the religious leaders who are in authority over us. I don't think I've said it quite this way, but being a pastor is a really strange job. And the reason why it's a strange job is because I literally have no power. <laughs> it's, and I'm not talking about like church council. The, here's what my job is to do. Are you ready? Preach the word. Pray. Give you guys the Lord's Supper, baptize, rinse, wash, repeat. And God, the Holy Spirit, it's His job to convict you of sin and unbelief. And it's through the Word then that your political opinions are going to be formed. And you're going to note that political opinions and political ideas and thoughts always will come up you know, at the time. So I don't know who's running for President of the United States you know, a couple years from now. I have no clue. You know, maybe Trump will run again. I don't know. And but my job is not to tell you vote for that guy or register with this party, because the one thing I've watched over my lifetime is, is that parties drift. Their platforms change. You know, it, it might literally get to the point where 10 years from now, I would vote for a person who 20 years ago would have been unthinkable just because of what their party platform is. But that, that things change in these, in these. So the idea then is, is that my job is not to tell you who to vote for. My job is to tell you what God's word says, what God's law is and what God's standard is. And then you look at the candidates and sit there and go, this person gets it. And if they're elected, they would govern according properly to a right understanding of what their job is, as, as opposed to this person wouldn't. And so, you know, that's kind of how you have to boil it down. Yeah. Just to, just to add to that is that, like it or not, you say you have no power, but like it or not, you are a mentor to many, okay? Yeah. And that you do wield power in that, whether to or not to, okay? But the, the, the road you're... You're, you're going down, I feel, is, is very, very proper, is that you preach the word of God and Jesus and let us make up our mind. Yeah. You, you point out right and wrong and then let us make up our minds. Yeah. Kind of a passive deal that you're doing to us. So, yes, you do have that in it. And uh, I appreciate what you do. Yeah. Well, thank you. Ultimately, I just have a big mouth, you know. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was putting the best construction on what you were thinking. <laughs> what does God say about the pastors who do go out and stump the candidates and do? Yeah, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't prohibit it, but the thing is, is that it just really seems like a, a wrong vocation. Because, again, we come back down to what Scripture reveals, that God has created two institutions, and they have different charters. So the government's charter we see in Romans 13. The purpose of the government is to punish the evildoer. And so we are to then pray for all of our political leaders. And um, my job is not to get on social media and tear down that person from the other party or anything like that. And um, the one thing I've noticed is, is that Every politician out there, they're all screwed up. You know, even the best of them, you know, they clearly are people where it's a mixed bag. You know, I, I miss Reagan because he at least had 
he had like a visible compass. You can tell how his decisions were being made. One of the things I loathe about politicians from both parties today is I'm not sure what they believe, which makes it difficult for me. But I think that's the way things are operating right now where politicians kind of want to hold their values close to their chest because they might feel like they need to make a decision or a compromise. And that's the other thing. The United States government operates at its best when, when people are compromising. Yeah, and so and it's at its worst when everyone's rigid and no one's talking to each other. So the, the whole system is kind of funky, if you ask me. So my job is to pray for. And so, you know... Um, you know, it was fascinating. So when I was installed, I prayed for Obama by name. Now I pray for Trump by name. I don't know who I'm going to be praying for in two years or four years or six years. You see, but the reality is, is regardless who's in power, who's in authority, Scripture actually explicitly commands me to pray for them. Let's take a look at some of these texts and you'll, you'll kind of get it. So the idea then is you, we don't curse a ruler or your people, which would then kind of make it so that Christians... We must set a good example regarding civil discourse when it comes to political discussions and debates. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth fascinating text so remember the context that this is written first timothy and second timothy are prison letters paul's writing these from a roman prison which is not known for their great hygienic facilities. He's writing this from a prison. He's going to be going to his death for confessing Christ shortly after penning 2 Timothy. And he is saying to pray. Notice there's not one ounce of acrimony or political snide comments directed at the at the caesar or the emperor or any of these tin penny corrupt magistrates or the corrupt tax system or anything like this instead doesn't matter how wicked your government is cuz i'm pretty sure rome was about as bad as it gets doesn't matter how corrupt they are you are to pray for them And this is pleasing in the sight of God. What? You want me to what? Yeah. There are some years this is easier than others. There are some presidents this is way easier for than others. But it doesn't matter who's in office. This is what Christ would have us do. And this is also for the sake of the gospel, because by God answering these prayers, leading a peaceful, quiet life, you're going to note the implication is is that it gives a free reign to the preaching of the gospel. And God desires that all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, between and who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, for this I was appointed a preacher, An apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles and the faith and of the truth. Isn't it fascinating how Paul somehow can hook everything back to the gospel? You know the reason why we pray for rulers and leaders? Because Jesus died for us. (laughs) That's like, okay, all right. So rather than taking to the interwebs and tearing down our leaders, we pray for them. And then our discourse should be civil when it comes to ideas. And so I find that that's kind of the thing that's missing today in, in today's political discourse. Everything is about trying to uncover dirt in somebody's life. It's like, look, I found dirt. I'm going to throw this out onto the airwaves, and that means that guy's an evil, terrible whatever, or that woman is a... You get the idea, right? 
They were breaking the Eighth Commandment left and right. That seems to be the, the entire thing of political discourse right now. When was the last time we as a nation had a really good, honest debate about tax policy? How our money is being spent? How the budget should be chopped up properly? 1776. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. 1776, yeah. So, you know, as the Brits say, so you guys, you know, didn't like taxation without representation. How do you like it now that you have it? You know? Do we have it? Well, we have representation. Oh, and a lot of taxation, too. So, I mean, when was the last time we actually had a legitimate, the nation was looking at a particular piece of legislation and it can go one way or another and there's thought and discourse and discussion around the implications of this decision or that decision? We didn't even have that when, when, the, when the House and Senate voted on Obamacare. I remember the senator from, or not senator, but... Uh, what was that congresswoman's name? She basically said, well, we have to approve it so we can find out what's inside the bill. Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. It's like, that's not how this is done. You yeah, know? Republicans just did the same thing. Yeah. And, exactly. The Republicans do it too. So it's, it's almost as if all of this nonsense that we're fighting about, which is nothing, it's causing us to miss the important dialogue. You know, as Christians, you know, where should our tax dollars be going? You know, if we're we're a society that recognizes that the job of the government is actually to punish evildoers, how then should our budgets, you know, we don't have these conversations anymore. And the question is, you know, Russia, do they do this or not do that? And the FBI this and the FBI. All this is, I had a boss of mine that I didn't particularly like, but he, he had a pretty interesting saying. He says, you're sitting there stepping on ants while elephants are walking by. I don't know where that came from, but it's like, oh, makes a lot of sense. You're kind of focused in on this nonsense over here, and this ginormous elephant's just walking by you. But that, that's, it's like almost as if everything is designed to keep us distracted so that we don't actually put any thought into what's going on. But as Christians, we should be engaged in the actual things that matter regarding our own republic. And it doesn't matter to me whether or not Trump paid this person that or all this other nonsense because all this stuff is just, all these charges end up coming up bogus anyway. And everybody spends all of this time all of this emotional energy and all of this ugh, on nothing. Nobody goes to jail. I think a legitimate conversation that this country needs to have right now is what is causing so many young men to want to go into these schools and gun down their classmates. I can tell you this. Guns don't motivate people to do that. There's something else going wrong in the society. Something way wrong going on in the society. One of the things I thought fascinating is, is that the Texas shooting and then the one in Florida not too long ago, both those kids were bullied terribly. What are we doing to our youth? Why are we not protecting our youth? And making it so that their education is something that helps them rather than destroys them. What is going on in our society that these kids are snapping and becoming mass murderers? What is going on with kids who are doing bullying? Yeah. And they are the problem in a way. Yeah. They are the but, yeah, but see, the thing is, the bullying that we see going on in the schools, that's going on in spades in social media. You know, because I'm a public figure on the Internet, I receive the same vomitous garbage directed at me. Now, I'm almost 50, so I don't care. You know, if some 18-year-old wants to vomit on me and bully me. It's like, that's nice. That's so cute. It's like your kid brother. You just hold him by his head while they're swinging. You know, nothing ever lands. But for other people, you know, 
younger and, and less mature, that's the kind of stuff that cuts and tears down. But we're not having that conversation. We're not having that conversation. What are we talking about? So, yeah. I think the, in my view, the problem we're having with these kids are going in shouldn't is recognition. They're not being recognized in school. They're kind of an outsider. They want recognition. They go in and they can perform this act and it gets the news and their name goes all over the place. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating is, is that they, our government made a conscious decision to remove God from the schools. It looks to me like the devil came into the vacuum. Mm-hmm. That, but in the early 90s, they made schools done free zones. And since 1950, 98% of the school of mass shootings have taken place inside of gun-free zones. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, we... There's some real problems in our republic that we need to address. But I think we are as distracted as they come. Uh, It's like tabloid politics has taken over. And I don't see how you can get the work of this nation accomplished with tabloid politics. I, I just don't see it. You were going to say something, Mike? I was just going to say that's because the majority of people that that do the thinking for them. Yeah. Instead of them doing it themselves. Yeah. And that's the other thing. We had better start thinking for ourselves and stop letting the networks think for us. And I don't care if the network that you're watching is as you know claims to be as conservative as they get. Ultimately, you have to own these arguments. You have to own your understanding of these things. You, you think think of it this way. We understand this within Christianity. All right. Is anybody born a Christian? Nobody. There are no grandkids in the kingdom of God. There are only kids. And if somebody doesn't own their faith, are they a Christian? No. We get this. So, Marilyn, you don't get to believe for Mark. You can't. I know you want to. But you, you, you can't. And Mark, you can't believe for your wife. And Marilyn, you can't believe for Christina. You just can't do it. And I can't believe for you. Each and every one of us is an individual citizen within the kingdom of God. And collectively, we are a congregation. But the reality of the situation is, is that my big critique of what's going on in this nation, there are kids who are given the privilege to vote who have no clue what it means to actually be an American. And they went to school in America. They weren't taught the same way I was taught the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and taught about the Revolutionary War and what sparked it and what are the primary value systems and political theory that make us different than all of the other nations on the planet. You know, when I was growing up, there was a real sense in which our republic was a shining light. I loved the way um, Reagan would twist the scriptures where he would make the United States the, the city shining on the hill, right? He, he was a little slippery that way. But the, the idea was, if you think about it, if you've seen the movie Gladiator, you know, you got Maximus. He would talk about, he talked about the Roman Empire as, you know, as Rome is the light. Seen the other, I've seen the other nations of the world in their darkness. And you think of it as screwed up as this country is. Do some traveling. Leave this area and travel to a third world nation. We wear our wealth on our properties. Those people wear their poverty on their properties. Where we have well-manicured, wonderful buildings with, with new roofs and paved roads and all this kind. You might complain about the potholes in the spring. But travel to a third world nation. They would die to trade places with you because you have running water. You have paved roads. And they don't have any of that. They have to walk four miles to the closest fresh water spring where the water isn't polluted. And they have to carry their water back to where they live. So, as messed up as our system is, 
it's still one of the best systems that humans have put together. All right, we're going to pause the message right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break, and we come back, the balance of today's lesson on the failing of the West. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? Not if you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the Biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. Oi, cat 
Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Ugh. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor never in-depth preaches and teaches God's Word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, and that's $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of this lesson titled The Failing of the West. Here we go. And the whole concept behind what makes this country great is a complete distrust of the government. (laughs) Which is kind of fascinating if you think about it. You read de Tocqueville. Have you read Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America? The brilliance of the American system is it's taken all the power and so widely diffused it It's impossible for one human being to change anything on their own. They have to build consensus. And they got to get a whole bunch of buy-in from the president to the Congress all the way down to governors and even postal workers. (laughs) (laughs) 
So in order to in order to actually steer this ship of ours, it would take somebody coming up and say, "I have a great idea. As a nation, let's do this. And if we come together and we do this thing, then these will be the benefits." And people want to get behind that. But right now, we're not talking about any grand vision or ideas or solutions. We're talking about how evil and wicked that guy is or that woman is or how stupid that person is. And it's over and over and over again, no real political discourse. And you want to get blocked by somebody on social media, just say something that makes sense. The uh, the danger we face, however, is that in the postmodernism of our society where there is no truth, is also leading us into a post-constitutional era. Yes. The Constitution represents the foundational guidelines. And if you don't have truth, you don't have you're going to ignore those foundational guidelines. Okay. This is not Bible study at this point. This is political philosophy. Let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> okay. Postmodernity, I know. All right. It's something I've studied. Postmodernity is anti institutional at its core. Go back to uh, the 20th century, Germany between World War I and World War II. The philosophy that overran Germany and Italy in that era was the philosophical precursor to postmodernity. It's not exactly postmodernity. It's, it, it was a little bit less mature than postmodernity is now. But the basic theory behind it is, is that there is no such thing as an actual objective truth. And they get the idea from Hegel. Have you ever heard of the Hegelian dialectic? There there will be a quiz on this next week, so you have to take notes. So the way the Hegelian dialectic works, Hegel was was a philosopher in Germany, and he worked with this idea. He was part of this irrational philosophy that comes out of Rousseau and Kant. And his basic idea had to do with truth theory, at least at this portion of his work, and that he saw that where there was dualities, that that somehow was a bad thing. And so when he would see in political discourse or in a society where there were dualities of good and evil, this party versus that party and things like that, his theory was is that truth really never ever went beyond the boundaries of a group. So we as a nation, as the United States, we have a truth that we collectively buy into. And our truth is our truth. Whatever's going on in Germany, who cares? I mean, we're Americans, right? And so whatever is truth for us, it's actually synthetic. It's not objective. And the reason we are here at this point where the current duality is between Republicans and Democrats the way they are, is because of a bunch of other dualities that eventually synthesized. So the way it works is is that you have a thesis, and whenever there is a thesis put forward, organically an antithesis will arise. And they will stay in constant struggle until at one point they synthesize. They come together. The duality ceases to exist. And at which point a new thesis arises, and then immediately a new antithesis comes. And so the Hegelian dialectic then would, in their way of thinking, this is behind Marxist thought, by the way. All of the, all of the Marxists and socialists of the 20th century, this is their primary view on truth. So there's no objective truth. This morphs then when you get into Nietzsche's nihilistic concepts and then meld it with Heidegger's concepts. This morphs into this powerful cocktail where basically there's nothing meaningful in the world. There is no such thing as an objective truth. So then the question is, is where do I as an individual find meaning for my existence in this life if there's no such thing as an objective truth? What I'm experiencing is just where our society has come to. The natural then outcropping of that is, is that I can only find my meaning within a group. This is where fascism comes from. 
But as part of this, then, because they do not believe in anything that is truly, that anything actually truly being an objective truth, institutions are built off the idea, as a primary assumption, that there is objective truth. The church is built off of that, and even the government. Because the government says killing somebody is murder, and we execute murderers. Somebody who buys into this worldview would see a government that behaves in that way and somehow towing the line to an invisible objective truth is actually a threat to the group. And so they attack institutions. The government as an institution has to be torn down in post-modernity. The church as an institution has to be torn down in post-modernity. Anybody who believes in an objective truth is an actual threat. Because where there is no objective truth, then we are all just to be free to be whatever we are within our group. You see it? This is why transgenderism is like all the rage right now. And all these 52 new genders that we've all discovered. Yeah, because people are just living out their truth. You know, what you just said, Pastor, really confused me and probably half the other people in here that, you know, okay, <laughs> but uh, hopefully I'm probably in pretty good company. But I've said this before, and we'll run this into more simplistic terms, is that cut to the, to the chase on it. There is what we call a conscience that we have. Uh-huh. And that conscience is guided by the input that's been put into us from the previous learning. Okay? Uh-huh. And then we have... So, from, from, from baby on up, we have learned what right is wrong. I mean, what what is the difference between right and wrong. Okay? But it has gotten to the point, Pastor, that what is we think is right, other people are saying is wrong, and vice versa. Uh-huh. Okay? And there's a Bible passage and it's been floated around Facebook here a little bit. It's highlighted. I think Peter said something about it or whatever in there. And I can't find it because I just buried myself. I was still listening to you, but I was trying to find it here, but I couldn't. That it is prophesied that we're going to get to the point where but is right is going to be deemed wrong and what is wrong is going to be deemed right. Indeed. And maybe it's the beginning of the end or or whatever, but that's another story. But but saying that groups of people follow other groups of people, that's that's the sheep scenario. That's why we are considered, the Bible had it right. We are the sheep. We'll follow somebody that we think is right off a cliff. Uh-huh. However, and then you can go back to following Fox News or CNN or whoever else is preaching this stuff to you. You know, we got to be individuals. Otherwise, we will be led off that cliff. Okay? We can't be following the school playground groups all the time because it's just to keep us from being bullied. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these people that are being bullied probably ask for it because they're kind of going off in their own way, all right, and they're trying to be individuals, no fault of their own. And then you get back to persecution of Christians, but that, that's being bullied by people who don't believe in Christianity. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I'm, I'm confused. Now, if you can unravel everything you said, and kind of put in that. So the basic idea then is that this is a worldview that believes there's no such thing as an absolute truth. Although that's a self-defeating proposition. And you who believe in absolute truth, you're an actual threat to society in their eyes. And institutions, therefore, must be torn down. So if you think of it this way, is that for the last, what, 20 years, there's been an outright overt movement within 
the uh, homosexual community. And where have they focused their attention? Two places, church and the state. And there are a whole group of churches that have totally capitulated. Totally. And there's a whole group of politicians that have totally capitulated. Now, I, I, I want you to think about this. So that's a bandwagon that they jumped on. Yeah, but it, that's actually just part of the agenda. They keep winning, by the way. Because now we're to the point where you, their goal is to make it so that there's no law in place. But if you deny that there are 56 genders, you're going to lose your job. But I feel bullied. I mean, honestly, people are feeling bullied because they're not sticking up for their own beliefs. Uh They feel like they can't because it'll be... Right. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Do any of you just, your first gut reaction when you hear somebody say there's 56 genders and that we can't use pronouns like he and she, we have to start using za and me and bleh and bleh, you know, whatever, right? How many of you just think your initial reaction, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life? Good, get it out of your system because that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life. But I want you to think about this for a second. That dumb wants to run this government. And as soon as they get power, what are they going to do to you? <laughs> okay, because we're talking about insane people at this point. And it's totally irrational. It's wickedly emotive, extremely aggressive. And what you think right now is just stupid. You're not going to think it's stupid when they've rounded you up and put you in a concentration camp. Because it's this kind of stupid that Germany was engaging in before Hitler took power. It matters that God made us male and female. And as Christians and people who actually have a sound mind, we have to literally say, no, we will not bend the knee to your stupid 56 gender theory. You people are out of your minds and we will not let you take power. Because when they take power, this place becomes a totalitarian state. That's what's at stake. You see, all of these little things along the way, they keep winning all of these little things. Bundle them all together and tell me if this country makes more sense today than it did 20 years ago. It's a constant erosion. Uh huh. It's what they're normalizing things that were. 20 years ago, you know, the affect is not there no longer on any of this. Yeah. And the genders, there are only two. The races, there is only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whoever tells me otherwise, I'll, I'll, I'll get in front of me and I'll tell you my opinion of that. I'll tell you this. Look, look at the, the church of entertainment within America. You look at your movies, or oh, yeah. television shows. You know, these are the things that people are being raised up on. I grew up in the 90s, and the 90s was really bad when it came to the type of movies that were coming out in regards to the messages. Who were you told to follow? Were you told to follow your heart? Well, excuse me, my heart is a a sinful pile of junk. And basically following that thing will only send you down the path to hell itself. That's what a lot of these people that are growing up that we deem the social justice warriors who are the up-and-coming people who are around my age who have decided to completely buy that ideology whole hog and decided to tear down every institution or any form of institution that would say otherwise. Well, that's why you get the, you know, find your truth. What is your heart telling you individually is true for you, which might not be true for somebody else. Now, coming back to one of the points she made, the questions we were discussing, and I'll frame it this way then. The question is, as a pastor, should I endorse a candidate? No. But the day is coming when we risk losing our tax-exempt status when the pastor of Kongsvinger says there are only two genders. That's not political speech. That's what Scripture says. But the way we're heading to say that publicly, what Scripture says will be deemed political speech because they're politicizing it already now. You see what I'm saying? Where did you find hate from God? 
<laughs> Would you please give me a clear definition of what hate speech is? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Okay, hate speech is in the eye of the beholder. Used to be that I could come up to somebody and I could tell them my opinion. Mm-hmm. And if they had any gumption at all, they would exchange theirs with me. Yeah. Okay. And in a fight, there, there, I mean, in a marriage, there's there's where the fight is. But in a common discourse, you know, you hear each other out. Okay. We used to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. But now, if I go tell somebody my true feelings on a situation and I'm being tactful but yet firm with them, oh, you're being a bully. And you know what? It happens over and over. It happens in the workplace. Uh I've been told I have to be careful because we're going to lose people this way. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I'm kind of one of these guys that's right and wrong. If you can't do it right, then you may as well find another job. Uh huh. One of the hallmarks of the Nazi administration is, is that nobody could understand the laws that they were passing. Totalitarian government on purpose passes laws that make no sense. And these laws that you're experiencing that are not written, because right now society is enforcing them, they will eventually be codified. And if you can't make any sense of them now, that should be a warning sign to you. The reason why you can't make any sense of them is because you're not supposed to. The goal of these kinds of laws is to create fear inside of you. And these are societally enforced presently. They will be government enforced if we don't do something to stop it. The whole purpose of this is for you to sit there and go, I don't know what I can or cannot say. So to save my bacon, I'm going to say nothing. Because you're going to note, the, one, the only thing that I could figure out what hate speech is, hate speech is any speech that I could potentially give that would hurt the feelings of some immature millennial. Or a boomer, yeah. <laughs> you know, Pastor, but you, since we met you and I, we, we hurt each other's feelings on a, not daily, but a monthly, you know, we have discourse. Okay? Yes, yes. But at the end of the day, we shake hands, and if nothing else got accomplished, we've agreed to disagree. Exactly. See, the thing is, is that the way human beings grow, the way we grow, I am not a god, as much as my wife thinks I am. She doesn't. (laughs) I'm not a deity. I'm a finite human being with a set of experiences and expertise in a particular chosen field. The way I grow is through interaction with other people, which sometimes will require me to shut up and listen, and other times will require me to ask questions, and at other times may actually require me to sit there and go, wait a second, how, could, how, do, how do you do that and that if this is happening over here? And actually kind of have hash these things out. But all of the things that are happening in our, in our society are all designed to stop discourse, to stop learning, to stop thinking. And when that happens, who's running this place? Right. So you're going to know. When, we te- when I work through the scriptures, you guys have open Bibles. You're following along with me when I'm preaching and when I'm teaching. And you're asking questions and no questions off limits. Because ultimately my job is to make it so that by working together through these texts, you now own them and this is all part of your thinking. And so the point I'm making in all of this is as Christians, what God's word says, it requires you to understand not only your faith, but also your responsibility in your two citizenships. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God and you are citizens of the United States. And God's word admonishes you to be really good citizens, which will require you to think, to engage in discourse. And this is where the second institution comes into play then. When the government goes evil 
and refuses to do what it's supposed to do. Romans 13, to punish the evildoer. And instead, they punish those who are doing good. The job of the church is to say to the state, you need to repent. And you sit there and say, but if we do that, we'll be martyred. Yeah, so? Yeah. And that's the job. And in the midst of all of this, no matter how wicked it is, we pray for our government leaders. And while you're at it, although we live far from California, pray for that state. requires you to understand what's going on. To be engaged and stop being distracted by tabloid politics. Because God's word in Exodus 22 actually says that stuff the same. So avoid it like the plague. Don't let your advertising dollars be used to support it. Engage in political discourse. As Christians, informed by the word of God, what is good and what is evil. And if necessary, run for government. <laughs> okay, that, that's a little too radical. We'll, we'll save that for next week then. All right, we'll leave it there. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at piratechristian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. And the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.